Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Al and Lingy Show. Brilliant tap work, Gresham curling, curling! Magnificent all round! Oh, this is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low, Corey to Ling, and then Ling goes bang! And the captain, as he did last week from about there, kicks the goal. Collingwood heads west and causes a huge upset. Brisbane, a boil over. Hawthorne getting the job done in Launceston. Richmond rolling, but again... Injury has struck. Hello and welcome to the Al and Lingy show. And what about the Blues, Lingy? I think everyone believes they're coming now. Nick Newman, their defender, is going to join us in the aftermath of that very impressive win Friday night over the Swans. Hello, Cameron. Hello, Al. Great to be with you. And yeah, you're right. Full Friday night footy. Carlton were magnificent that second quarter. They were simply superb with their scoring ability. Uh, And now... Like top four's looking not just a possibility. Top four's looking almost like a lock at this stage of the year. Uh, they were just... Their midfield's deep. Their forward line is super dangerous. And it was missing Harry Mackay. And their back line is rock solid. All the elements you need. Yeah, they look so good. That, that was lethal, some of their play on Friday night. And they're still developing their game to a degree, I suppose. And they are having periods within matches where they let the opposition back in. But... Carlton used to do that once a quarter and concede runs of goals regularly. But when they're on, and Charlie Kerno, even in the absence of Harry Mackay, people thought now that it's just Kerno and he's going to command all the attention, what's he going to do? Well, he was just so explosive and he's been doing it week after week. He's kicked 33 goals for the season. So one of the things that's caught my eye, Lingy, is the key forwards. I'm loving the key forwards kicking big bags of goals. We saw Charlie Kernow kick six and young key forwards as well. Max King kicked six and two in the last quarter when the game was on the line against Adelaide as well. If you look at the goal-kicking table this year, you've got multiple players sort of up around the 30 mark already. Kernow 33, Lynch 31, albeit he's got injured and we'll get to that. Hawkins 29, King's now got 29, Cameron 28, Norton 25. We could have a year where we've got sort of four, five, maybe even six players kicking 60 or more goals for the season, which I think would be absolutely awesome. It's so good, isn't it, Al? And I'm glad you brought it up because this whole idea, this concept of all that player needs to do in the forward line is compete and bring the ball to ground. No, you're up there as the key forward. You get paid the big bucks. You're the superstar. Mark the footy and kick the goal. That's what we want to see. And that's what your team needs. And if... As a worst-case scenario, the ball does come to ground, as it should, and your small forwards can go to work. Fantastic. But I love it. Charlie Kerno, you mentioned, he's going to market. He's not, he's not competing just to bring it to ground. That ball comes in the air in his direction. In his mind, it is his. Yeah. He's alone. And when he gets it, like we saw on Friday night, he's just going to wheel and bang it home. He's got so much confidence in his footy at the moment, and I love watching it. Yeah, forget when- about just... Just bring it to ground. Just bring it to ground. No, mark the footy. Turn There's it on. There's no better sight. That athletic key forward launching in the pack and just having that commanding presence. And when you think about his story, having barely played the last couple of years, it's terrific to see him back. Um, you talk about kick the goal, go back and kick the goal. Well, well, that's not always been what King has been able to do, but his accuracy was such a feature. He had six kicks, six marks and six goals against Adelaide. So... That is the model of efficiency. Uh, another thing that caught my eye that I wanted to mention quickly off the top, Lingy, was just the cultural pieces around Sir Doug Nichols' Indigenous round and nothing caught my eye more than that performance prior to Dreamtime at the G when the Richmond players who weren't participating in the match with the body paint on, Marlon Pickett given special dispensation to do it, Matt Parker was out there, Sydney Stack as well, part of that war cry that that was spine tingling that and to see them in the middle of the richmond team that was a wonderful celebration of indigenous culture and i thought very very nicely done 
Yeah, good call, Al. You're right about that. It's pretty special, wasn't it? And right across the whole round. Uh, and obviously, we get to do it as well next week um, with the two rounds of Sir Doug Nichols' round. But dream time at the G being back at the MCG and having mm. that moment before the game, it was pretty special. What did you like, mate? Well, you know, well, you went the key forwards, and I, I love that as well. But I'm going to go back back to my inner core, my, my roots here, the role of the tagger. Ah, yes. When you've got the right person to play on the right opponent against the right team where it can influence the result, it is still a massive weapon in the coach's arsenal. Are you talking about a little bloke in 26 who might have been a very experienced player who spent some time in the VFL for Box Hill this year? I certainly am, Al. Liam Shields, take a bow. Sam Mitchell, take one as well, because he had to deal with taggers for pretty much all his career. People like me running around trying to stop him, but he understands how effective they could be. Lockie Neal, first half, 16 possessions and a goal, was completely dominant. Second half, Liam Shields goes to him, only the nine disposals in a half of footy. And this is a game of footy that was decided by under a kick in the end when the siren went. Liam Shields' role that he was able to play to stop Lockie Neal, to limit Lockie Neal in that second half, helped his team win the game. Hugh McCluggage went down with an injury that hurt the Lions as well. When you didn't have McCluggage there because of injury and Neal was locked away, the Lions just looked discombobulated, they looked slow, they looked stagnant, there were bombs on the head of the forwards, went nowhere, Hawks get a terrific win, Liam Shields plays a superb role for his team. They've had a couple of good wins now, Hawthorne, haven't they, this season? That win against Port Adelaide earlier in the year, albeit Port Adelaide started the year very poorly, but to do it at the Adelaide Oval, knock off Geelong as well, and now Brisbane, one of the teams that people think might be able to challenge Melbourne for a premiership, that, that shows real signs. Um, and it doesn't feel like a season where wins and losses are the absolute be-all and end-all for Hawthorne. This is about making improvement, getting games into youngsters. And, and the Sam Mitchell era, it's showing some really good signs for the Hawks. Yeah, really good signs with the way they move the ball, with the way they're structuring, they're playing with genuine energy. At, at some point in time, I think all non-Hawthorne fans are going to eventually start jumping up and down about the, the way that Hawthorne were able to just weave their way between the rules of last year's mid-season draft. And John Newcomb just continues to blow me away with how good he is. How the Hawks got that little one uh, done is <laughs> genius by them. And the rules were in place that allowed them to do it. So uh, that's not a crack at them. That was just brilliant play. But he's the one who, in the middle of the ground, is setting the tone for the way that team plays. Yeah, he's outstanding tough. today, Lingy. And I think early in the season, I said to you, look, just write this down now. We've got a two-way battle for the rising star between Joshua Shelley and, and Nick Dacos. And, yeah, I didn't think about the, the Poo Wong lad who's been so dominant coming in as the mid-season recruit and, and of course, needing to realise also that he's still eligible for that award. He, he will give it a real shake. Oh, well, he was the one, you mentioned the great wins. He's the one who drove them against Geelong, that start that he had. Um, he's played terrific footy and was brooding in today. There's no reason why... He can't. The other two that you did mention are still going okay, though. That's uh, Nick very Nick Rochelle, they're, they're solid in their first seasons. I think they'll be right up there as well. Now, Nick Newman from the Blues is going to join us very shortly to talk about their start to the season. Love to hear from him exactly what it is about Michael Voss that has helped this group take the next step. They've got some terrific recruits, but clearly the Voss influence has been highly significant. So we'll talk to Nick Newman in just a moment about that. Let's stick a little bit with the Hawks and the Lions and also Collingwood with an upset win over Fremantle. So the Dockers have just had a, a little roadblock that they've hit. They've hit a little speed hump in the last couple of weeks after a superb start to the season. And we were really looking ahead towards that match against Melbourne coming in, in round 11. The Dockers now go into that match, not necessarily in the form that they were. But what did you think today meant for Brisbane, Lingy? Is it just a blip? Is it something positive, perhaps, in that, Chris Fagan will be able to draw some real teaching from that will help the group as the year goes on? It, it still worries me, Al, a little bit, today's result. Um, because I was, I was more and more coming around to Brisbane being the clear number two um, to Melbourne. And I still, I still think they can be and, and may well be. But the reason why I was coming around so strongly to Brisbane being that was 
Hugh McCluggage elevating himself into that next tier of just outstanding midfielder. Cam Rayner taking a bit of a jump. You know, Zach Bailey taking another jump. That just felt like they were growing their depth of absolute A-grade quality. And then I watched today's game and the doubts came flooding back a little bit when Neil was restricted in the second half and McCluggage injured. I started looking around thinking, oh, hang on, who else could do it? Or who is there? There's Jared Berry hasn't made that leap. Um, Daniel Rich has got the, the penetration with that kickoff half back, but he kind of has to be given the ball and then he uses it superbly. He, he's not a game changer. Rainer's potentially it, but he still just disappears a bit in games. Charlie Cameron still can't quite get back to that absolute dominant All-Australian form of a couple of years ago. Now, Eric Hipwood's a slow burn back in, so let's give him a little bit of time. But, yeah, probably just on that result today and the way that they played, a few of those doubts came back a little bit for me, Al, uh, about Brisbane and how, in particular, how deep that midfield is with real A-grade quality. If it's not Neil, who else is it? I think McCluggage can be. Obviously, concerns around an injury after the game. But who else? So, yeah, I'm a, oh, it's made me, made me stop and think a little bit. Whereas the last few weeks, I was really saying, okay, Brisbane have made the jump. They're, they're the number one contender to uh, Melbourne at the moment. But a few doubts now after that performance. So... Mitch Robinson was the medical sub today. He came on for about the last seven and a half minutes when McCluggage was subbed out of the game. It seems like it's coming towards the end for him. He's been a full-blooded player, gone out there and given absolutely everything and you know, put his body on the line in some, some cringeworthy positions at times to, to try and win the ball for his team. Is he being used the right way, Mitch Robinson, or do they need to inject a player like him to try and bring a bit of crash and bash perhaps Lingy to, to put a few people on their backside and, and maybe get it going Brisbane's way when things aren't going the way they want it to. Yeah. You know what? I don't think he's the answer to them making that leap to knock off Melbourne. I think his best football is behind him. Um, and I don't like saying that because um, he's just given his absolute all. He's never left a single bit on the table. He's just gone and gone and gone. Um, but I think that's taken a toll on him and he can't do it as well as often and sustain throughout an entire game. And, and eventually that catches up with you. So I don't think he's the answer. I'm not sure what, maybe it's making sure they get Danaher and Hipwood back really firing together and they've got time to do that. Hopefully finding just a way that Charlie Cameron can really reignite that spark. And I'm talking about, so in order to knock off Melbourne, Cameron's got to get back to that. He's absolute best footy. It can't just be good footy. Um, I mean, maybe it's Coleman. I don't know. I mean, he's creative. He's good with his ball use. Maybe it's him. Rain is still the one who I think can go to that whole new level. But maybe Jared Lyons, you know what you're going to get every single game. It's going to be, you know, probably 26 to 31 hard-won possessions but he's not going to change the entire course of the game, again, against the quality of a Melbourne midfield. So who else is it? I'm not sure, but I don't... uh, To answer your question, Al, it's not Mitch Robinson. I don't think him coming back in and playing four quarters and every game for the rest of the year gives them that point of difference that gets them over the top of the very best. You pose the question, you don't know who it is. Well, to you then as well, if... Brisbane's no longer your clear second-best team. Who is the second-best team? Because it would appear that the gap from Melbourne to second is, yeah. is a very wide, wide gulf. Yeah, I think, I think, unfortunately, Al, it's not a matter of all these other teams have jumped up to Brisbane and Melbourne and it's closing there. I think Melbourne is just so far out in front and then everybody else is compacting below them and leaving a giant gulf of daylight between Melbourne and the comp. Watching Carlton and what they can produce on in the second quarter on Friday night, it could very well be Carlton. But then you have the nagging concerns of what happens in the second halves multiple times throughout this first half of the season. You think, oh, hang on, can that really be a team that could do it? Um, 
St Kilda continue to win, but oh, to trust them to to make that leap, I don't know. Um, I mean, we can talk about Geelong if you like, Al, but Geelong, I watched the game on Saturday, Geelong and Port Adelaide, and I didn't see either team there being one that really blew me away and said, oh, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a contender for Melbourne. From that game, I walked away thinking, oh, gee, there's a bottom half of the eighth game out of both of them. I um, want to drill down on Geelong with you a little bit more in the program today, Lingy. Um, we've got Nick Newman coming up, so we'll just work through Collingwood because they're win. What an upset. Terrific performance to go over and knock off a really good side in Fremantle in Perth. And Collingwood moves to five and five, just outside the top eight ahead of a clash against Carlton at the MCG. Carlton in great form. Collingwood coming off a terrific win. That's going to be massive next Sunday. That is the match you'll see on Sunday live and free on Channel 7 as well. So look forward to that, Lingy. But that's a statement from Collingwood. And I suppose there are two sides to this. How well Collingwood played. And then the issue for Fremantle having started the season so well, just the, the little dip that they're having at the moment. Yeah, I, and first off, credit to Collingwood. I, the, just the way, I mean, I, I think you said it about Hawthorne before um, with Sam Mitchell's team. It, not necessarily the wins and losses are going to matter so much this year. That Hawthorne, I think it's a bit the same with Collingwood. Collingwood are more advanced than Hawthorne are, but it's about the way that they're playing and the way they're, learning and understanding what Craig McRae wants from them. Um, but when they're in situations of games where they can win, they should win. Um, they've, had, they've had a couple of poor moments throughout the year, um, early, early on in the year. And I think they've learned from them and they've responded really well to them, which shows a character in the group and a, and a really clear message that Craig McRae is having an impact on this group. Um, so that's a fantastic win. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating game. We go through... Um, the Fremantle good game. Fremantle just dominated the disposals, but just could not get the ball inside their Ford 50. They had, what, almost 60 or 50 or 60 more disposals than Collingwood, but only had the 46 inside 50s, which suggests to me, um, now conditions may have played a part in this, but it suggests to me that the individual personnel is getting a response from Craig McRae but also their system and the way they're structuring is starting to work, that they're working in unison when it needs to. And even though the opposition's won a heap of footy and some good quality players won some disposals through the middle of the ground, their system didn't break down against Fremantle and they kept the ball outside of um, the opposition's forward 50 and they were able to generate a winning score. So credit there. Um, Fremantle, they've... They probably exceeded my expectations anyway. I thought they were primed for seventh or eighth this year, Al. Um, And then I started really falling in love with them and the way that they were playing. They've probably just hit a little patch where maybe a couple of blokes are a little bit sore or tired or a few teams are just starting to understand what they're doing a little bit more. little flat patch. But I trust with the way that Justin Longmuir has been coaching them and the quality in that group. They'll come out of that pretty well. I think this is just a little hiccup in the road for Fremantle. Yeah, I mean, for a neutral, the disappointing aspect is almost that this has happened. The loss to Gold Coast, the loss to Collingwood has happened in the lead up to this match that you really were looking ahead to. When are they playing Melbourne? And that's coming this week. So that's a huge test for them. I agree thoroughly with you, Lingy, that Fremantle has done enough throughout the course of the season so far to show what it's capable of. And and yes, out, outperformed in the eyes of many, but laid a really good base to play finals footy again. And every team in the competition, even the good sides, perhaps Melbourne might be the exception. I still think Melbourne's going to drop a game somewhere, mm. but teams are going to lose across the course of the season and you don't need to be too far off your best to be beaten by many sides within the competition. And Collingwood can do that to you. Hawthorne can clearly do that to you as the Brisbane Lions found out as well. Great to have you with us on the Al and Lingy show. You can download the program wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe and you can review. We'd love you to do that. Coming up next, well, the Blues are going beautifully. And Nick Newman from their defence has been a key part of it. He'll be with us. The Al and Lingy show.
Well, the Carlton Football Club has been one of the stories of the season, Lingy, and coming off a superb win over Sydney on Friday night. And we're joined by a former Swan who had a big night against his former team, 23 disposals in Carlton's victory. Nick Newman is with us on the Alan Lingy podcast. Nick, thanks for your time. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Just a few reflections, firstly, on that performance on Friday night. Um, gee, you blew them away in the second quarter. It had its flow of momentum go either way at times, but... How did you see the overall performance? Um, oh, firstly, it was um, yeah, re- really pleasing. I think um, any time you come away from an AFL game with a win, um, it's pretty pleasing. Um, I think um, the competition's pretty even, so if you're off a little bit, you can get done. So um, you take a win anyway. Um, but, yeah, it was really pleasing, especially that first half, how we played, and, and then a bit of resilience in the second half. Um, clearly, Sydney are a quality side, and... Um, I know them fairly well and, and knew they were going to come out after half time and give it a red hot crack and they changed a few things and um, yeah they sort of got the game on their terms for a lot of the second half so um, to hold on and, and show some resilience um, especially defensively was also pleasing a bit more pleasing for a defender than just the goals in the second quarter. And just in terms of the position the club's in at the moment, Nick, obviously with all the uncertainty around David Teague last year and all the media attention and conjecture around his position, it must have become a difficult place at times to be in. Then conversely this year when you're eight and two and flying and the fans are on board and there's this great sense of hype around the club, can you offer an insight into the difference between the two atmospheres at Prince's Park? Um, yeah, look, it, it is different. I think, um, yeah, that's the, the industry that we're in. I think most players at some stage, if you play for long enough in their career, sort of um, get to see both ends of the spectrum. And um, I've definitely seen that in uh, my career, but um, also at Carlton in the last um, three or four years. So, um, yeah, like last year, it was quite challenging at times. Um, I don't think you can hide from that. And um, when it's your job and it's in the papers and, all over the news and um, you've got reporters out the front of the club as you walk in, like there's some challenges with that and it's hard to get away from footy. Um, especially with the scrutiny that we are under last year. So, um, yeah, it's nice at the moment, um, yeah, to be eight and two and um, a lot of positive things said about the club and um, in a really good position. So um, you've got to enjoy this time. So it's nice at the moment. Nick, while you're comparing those two worlds of last year to this year, what about the other two worlds that you've lived in? Playing at Carlton, a huge, huge Melbourne club, and obviously this year going great, big crowd on Friday night. Compared to playing in Sydney, the Sydney Swans are a magnificent football club, but not an AFL mad city. What's the difference there? What have you noticed? And, and, and are you enjoying it more at a big, big club where all the focus is on? Or, or, or what are your thoughts between Sydney and, uh, and playing in Melbourne? Um, look, I, I don't really think I sort of prefer one over the other. I think um, there's good parts and bad parts about both. I think um, I was really happy that I probably did it the way I did it in terms of Sydney before coming to Carlton and not the other way around. Um, I really enjoyed being up in a... Um, Northern State but um, yeah it doesn't obviously have the, the scrutiny of, of Melbourne and it sort of allowed me to settle in and um, get to work up there and, and enjoy my life and um, not have footy sort of take over and then I think um, coming back down here being a little bit older and a bit more mature and being back around my family has worked really well and um, yeah I, th- I think clearly they're the main differences that um, up in Sydney you sort of play and then um, you can go down the beach you can go to a cafe you can um, go have a beer at a pub and, and no one knows who, you know, someone like Josh Kennedy can walk in and, and not get recognised, which is, um, yeah, crazy to think that that can happen um, comparing it to down here. So, um, yeah, there's pros and cons, I think. Um, at the moment, you know, when we're eight and two and, and seeing the atmosphere that um, we're getting at the games and the buzz around Ligon Street and Princess Park, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome to be a part of that as well. So there's definitely um, pros and cons of both, and I've been lucky enough to experience both. Speaking of different experiences, we're seeing the growth of Michael Voss now as a senior coach. He had that first experience. Brisbane didn't go to plan. Then he went away, and I, I was just so impressed with the way that he took his time rebuilding his his coaching philosophy, his, his everything he went about with Port Adelaide as an assistant coach. What's he like? 
just in the quiet moments, in the uh, out, away from all that craziness that we've been talking about, just behind closed doors, give us a little insight into Michael Voss that we maybe wouldn't know. Um, I think, to be honest, behind closed doors, he's just a pretty good bloke. Um, he's one of those guys that you can just sit there and, and have a chat and it flows pretty easily and naturally. And um, He's a pretty level-headed guy and um, sees things for what they are. And, um, yeah, doesn't get too high or too low. And um, yeah, I, like I, I, yeah, couldn't speak um, highly enough of what he's done for the footy club so far. And um, yeah, his leadership um, clearly as a three-time premiership captain was was obviously impressive. But um, seeing him as a coach, um, yeah, he, he's just been amazing for our group and keeping us level and <clears throat> keeping us focused on on the real and what's right in front of us. And um, he's been really well supported also by um, a lot of new assistant coaches who are also doing a fantastic job. But, um, yeah, he's, a, he's just a pretty good bloke, which helps. Just in terms of the way he played, he was inspirational as a leader, as a captain of the Brisbane Lions during that successful era. Can you speak about his level of inspiration as a coach? Does he bring that as well? Is he someone who can ignite the passion in the players? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's always a fine line as a coach. Um, you don't want to be sort of banging that down all the time. You've got to pick your moments, and I think he's done that pretty well. And um, Yeah, clearly um, we're playing a pretty... Um, good contested brand of footy and um, I think it's sort of hard not to sort of back him in um, in that style of game after being able to watch him and the way he went about it so um, <clears throat> yeah he's um, he's been a great leader for us and um, yeah he can definitely ignite the boys and um, the boys joke that after a few team meetings they're ready to run through a brick wall the night before <laughs> a game we're trying to go to sleep <laughs> calm yourself back down so um, yeah, he can definitely ignite the boys, but he's picked his times um, pretty well so far. A couple of terrific acquisitions in your midfield this year, obviously Adam Chera being one of those, but almost the, the bargain basement get was George Hewitt, who has had an enormous influence on this group. Can, can you believe that he's part of the Carlton side and, and having such an influence that, that Sydney, you're able to prize him out of Sydney and he's now playing such a key role for your team? Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm sort of, a little bit, it's a bit surreal that he's playing back playing with me at Carlton. I think that's the surreal part. Um, I think for me, who, who got to see him up close at Sydney, I'm probably one that's a little bit less surprised about how he's playing. I was sort of, when we, we traded him in, I was telling the boys, like, mate, he's going to be a really good pickup. Like, he's, he's hard at it, he's good, he's underrated. And the boys are sort of going, yeah, like, I'm sure it'd be pretty handy. And then, um, <laughs> sure enough, I've seen what he can do. And, um, yeah, I mean, he, he came runner-up in, in Sydney's BNF, I think it was 2018 or 2019. So um, <clears throat> he's one of those players that, inside the four walls, extremely highly regarded. Um, he was at Sydney and hence he came runner-up in a BNF. And um, yeah, from the day he walked in at Carlton, I think everyone was sort of um, taken aback by his hardness, how clean he is, but also his composure. I think that's maybe still something that's... Um, yeah, sort of flies under the radar, his, his skills and how composed he is under pressure. So, um, yeah, it's nice. He was my housemate in Sydney. So it's nice having him um, back around and, and seeing him every day. And um, I love playing with him. I'm always intrigued, Nick, about how much players and former teammates still talk and what they talk about. Did you have any hand in uh, him coming to Carlton? Were you able to give him a call and convince him to come down? <sighs> I actually, no, I, I didn't... Um, sort of get wind of it till pretty late either. I, I was, um, yeah, probably a bit surprised. I, I um, he, He's got a partner and, and a little one and um, he had a house up there. So um, it wasn't until sort of it started coming out to the media and a bit late that I sort of thought, oh, maybe there's some, some truth to this. And, um, yeah, he, uh, he played his cards pretty close to his chest. And, um, yeah, I, I, I snuck in a few sneaky texts and um, <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was pretty pumped when, uh, when I saw it was going to happen. So, yeah. Nick, talk me through this back line you're part of because one thing that has stood out to me with Carlton is your capacity to still restrict even though you've been missing a few key position players in your defence. Um, obviously, Mitch McGovern, who'd gone back there and started to so show some signs, Lewis Young in recent times as well. You have had some of your, your taller backs um, come in and out of the side a little bit, but Jacob Wiedering's obviously doing such a superb job back there. How have you seen the growth of the defence this season under Michael Voss? Um, yeah, look, I think 
it's been really pleasing. Um, I think with the back six or seven, um, you'd love to have the same sort of seven or eight every week and, and build that synergy. And um, unfortunately, we just haven't had that for numerous reasons through injury, COVID, form, whatever it is. And um, it feels like we've sort of got one or two rotating in or out every week. Um, but the pleasing thing is guys have um, stepped in and just played their role. And I think something that Bossy's been pretty big on is the next man up and um, guys coming in not feeling like they need to, um, you know, blow the world away with, with how they play and just come in and play a role. We saw that last week with um, young Brody Camp. I thought he came in and played really well. He was probably a little bit unlucky to get dropped, but Lewis Young was in great form before him. So, um, yeah, I think um, it's something that they've preached um, as a collective and especially as a back, um, and it's been really pleasing. But I think we, we're trying to really play an, an 18-man system as well, so um, that definitely helps, helps us backs out. And one of the things that made it tricky, I suppose, this year with your, your key stocks in the back line was Liam Jones's decision not to get vaccinated, essentially costing him, himself his AFL career for the moment. But I have seen that he's been quoted recently talking about maybe making a return that he hopes to come back and play AFL football and feels like he could have a few good years still ahead of him. What did you make of that? Do you think he could make a return and, and even maybe play at Carlton again? Oh, look, I... It's obviously um, out of my hands whether he comes back to um, play a foul. But I think he's capable, clearly. I think, um, you know, it was this time last year he was probably arguably um, sort of getting spoken about in the All-Australian squad. Um, he hardly lost a one-on-one all year. So clearly he's, um, he's a capable AFL player. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I think, um, you know, he's 31 or 32. So, um, yeah, he, he's... In my eyes, I'm sure he could still come back and, and play and play for another couple of years. But, um, yeah, look, that's out of my hands, whether it's at Carlton or not. I think um, some of the guys that have stood up and, and come in, like Lewis Young and Austin McDonald before he did his back, um, were both playing some great footy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see Jonesy back playing in the AFL, um, wherever that is, because he's, um, he's a terrific person and, I mean, he's a really valued person at the footy club. So um, I know he's living up north and um, I think he's loving it up there. So um, I'm sure Big Levi will be um, yeah, in his ear trying to get him to the Suns, no doubt about it. <laughs> It'd be a good get for them, I reckon. Um, just in terms of your own aspirations post-football, so you're doing some work with the AFLW side alongside Daniel Harford and... Speaking to people within the club, they see you as someone who's a, a natural coach. You see the game really well. Is that a path you want to go down, Nick? Um, I think so, yeah. I think um, it's something that probably evolved over the last four or five years, and especially since I've got the Carlton. I always um, enjoyed my footy and um, watching vision and that side of the game. And, um, so, yeah, it was a, a bit of a natural thing for me to follow that passion. I've done a couple of coaching courses Um through the AFLPA and really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I, I got injured in, in 2020 and saw it as an opportunity to sort of explore that a bit further. And, um, I stepped in and helped out a little bit um, with the development group in, in the hub. And um, yeah, I, I loved it. Like, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And then an opportunity came up to do the AFLW. So um, yeah, I was, I was lucky enough they asked me to do that. And, um, again, um, really thrived and loved that. And um, they're a great group. I learned a lot. And, um, yeah, it's, it's something that um, hopefully is a few years down the track. But, um, yeah, it's something that, that is of interest to me post-footy. With the shift in seasons, Nick, will you be able to do it this year, given, well, I don't want to jinx anything, don't want to get too far <laughs> ahead, but Carlton might be going deep into September this year. Things <laughs> might clash. Yeah, it is. Um, obviously, we were waiting for a start date, which... We were unsure about, and um, yeah, it's sort of got announced. It's like, geez, we're starting in a month, so um, it, it is going to make it a little bit hard for me. So um, I'm not sure if I'll be able to do it in a um, full line coaching role, but um, I'll definitely stay involved. Um, obviously, it makes it tricky when um, it's going to be the back half of, of our year playing, and also my off season when players like to sort of have a break and get away. So um, yeah, I'm not sure if I'll be able to do a line, but. Um, I'll, I'll definitely stay involved in some capacity. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a passion of mine. and um, Yeah, I'll see where they can try and squeeze me in. Job <laughs> I'm sure they'll find a role, mate, and, uh, and let's hope that you are otherwise occupied because this season's building really nicely. Great to chat with you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. 
No worries. Thanks, that guys. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. So good to get the thoughts of Nick Newman there, Lingy, and uh, he's enjoying his time at the Blues, and I can understand why. And Collingwood winning against Fremantle, Carlton in terrific form, and the two old foes going at it at the MCG. You'll be there as part of the seven commentary team on Sunday. That is going to be a huge match. Genuine blockbuster, Carlton Collingwood, and we haven't necessarily had one for a while. I can't wait, Al, to be sitting at the G with... I mean, it'll be a packed house. I'm expecting a huge crowd. Uh, Carlton flying. We saw it on Friday night how much they turned up the Marvel Stadium. But playing against the old foes who, as you said, have had a good win, feeling pretty good about themselves as well, I reckon there will be people there in their droves because Carlton fans will want the chance to have Collingwood fans come to the MCG feeling pretty good, but then to be able to send them packing and just have this great win. But Collingwood will be thinking, we can knock off the Blues and show them that they're full of it and they're not going to go anywhere. Um, I reckon it'll have that real feel of an old-school Carlton-Collingwood yeah. crowd. The tribes will be. Yeah, they'll be very, very wound up, I reckon, this weekend ahead of that match. Give me a line or two on Geelong, Lingy. You're the last premiership captain of this club. You and Billy Brownless have sort of jostled for the mantle of mayor of the township for many years now. The Cats have gone win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win their last seven games. The match against Port Adelaide probably wasn't the greatest of spectacles, but Geelong won and they did what they needed to do and Port Adelaide had found some form winning four in a row prior. What's your thought on how Geelong is travelling at the moment? Where do you see them broadly? They are just travelling at the moment, Al. Uh, I walked away from that game on Saturday thinking that didn't fill me with a great sense of excitement for the levels they can go to. Um, as you said, they did, they did enough and they won. So, so fantastic. Jeremy Cameron, super impressive. Little bits of time where he went on ball was a good move, but dangerous up forward. Really worked well. But... It's almost the same questions I have about Brisbane, I have about Geelong's midfield. Is when it's an arm wrestle, it could go either way against a really good team, just how deep and how quality is that Cats midfield now when so much of it still ends up needing to fall on the shoulders of Joel Selwood uh, and Paddy Dangerfield and Paddy saw and got subbed off from that game and um, as just doesn't quite have that explosion in his legs that he normally um, we expect of him. So who else is it? And it's, it's Brandon Parfitt who hasn't quite elevated similar things that I've been saying, was saying about Brisbane hasn't quite made the jump. Cam Guthrie hasn't quite jumped back to that um, year when he was in discussions for, for all Australian. Uh, I mean, who else could spark them? Isaac Smith been very good on a wing for them. But who else? That's just what I kept thinking about. Like the game was three goals to four or something ridiculous at halftime. It was an awful first half. It was horrible to watch. Al, I uh, I was there with my oldest boy Max, and I was even kind of was freezing cold in the shade. And I was like giving him little nudges, like, "Yeah, what if we go for a kick somewhere and uh, head home?" But um, no, I never quite got. <laughs> you quite nearly got walked point. out on Geelong. No, no, I never did. But it was awful footy. Both teams were horrendous in that first half. Um, and then I started really looking around going, okay, where's the spark going to come from? And I knew the capabilities of Cameron and Hawkins, if it's in there quickly enough to advantage, yes, they can kick a score. So there's always that comfort level with Geelong. Tyson Stengel's playing some really good footy as well. That forward line can be damaging enough. But where's the spark in the middle of the ground when Ollie Wines and Boak and that started getting a bit of the footy Where's Geelong's response to that? And that's just the little bit that made me a touch nervous is I'm not sure there's that real depth um, through that middle part of the ground that's going to then. They had to get past Port Adelaide. They were good enough to do that. But can they jump up and really challenge the likes of a Carlton midfield, a Brisbane midfield, a Fremantle midfield, which they didn't do a couple of weeks ago, and then the ultimate test, the Melbourne midfield. And I just feel exactly as I said right at the start, Al, it was a long-winded way of saying 
they are just going at the moment. Are you, where do you sit around the, the idea of, of Geelong? And I, a lot of Geelong supporters will say, look, I know we don't win the premiership every year, but we're always playing finals and Geelong give you a lot of enjoyment throughout the course of the season. So it doesn't necessarily matter that they don't win the premiership. You've had your premiership in, in 07 and 09 and 2011 as well. And as much as fans would like to see another one, they are content just having a highly competitive team year after year after year. What's your view on that? Does Geelong need to have a look at the way it's built its list and go again or keep topping up as they've done over the years? Uh, I think I'm much happier this year with the way that they're blending both of those out. Seeing, seeing De Koning down back and just playing and playing on the best forward each week, that just brings joy to my heart because I want, I want to see young players play and give them games, um, get games into them. Let, them. let them get towed up one week. Like, I don't care if De Koning plays one week and has eight kicked on him. Play him the very next week on the best forward in the, uh, in the opposition team because he will have learnt so much from that. That... So I, I love that. That's what I want to see. I'm glad I've seen Ollie Dempsey play, Nevitt play. Um, and they're, they're really young guys. But the guys who are in their second, third, fourth years, um, Brad Close is now a key member of that forward line because he's been played. Um, so that, that's really important. Um, I, balancing that with still needing experience in your team and, and some quality through your experience, I, I get all that. Anyone who wants to argue that Geelong should have just tried to bottom out for the last eight years and build a team through the draft, to me, that's a bit of a cop-out. Why they, they've put themselves in the top four pretty much every year for the last, what, six or seven years. Um, they've given themselves a chance. Uh, you know, a bit of play here, a bit of play there. They could have jumped a little bit further. Who knows? But at least they were there competing. You know what I'd rather be, Al? I'd rather be relevant and deep into September and people talking about Geelong than a bunch of irrelevant teams who haven't seen finals for years and aren't going to see them for a heap of years. Um, I remember, Al, when we were working on radio last year and we were all excited um, about Melbourne making the grand final and we got into debate about Melbourne having been, you know, down the bottom for a long, long time and draft picks and everything like that. Now they're getting it. Geelong hadn't quite done it. They'd, they'd been up there for so long. And a Melbourne supporter rang in. I don't know if you remember this. A Melbourne supporter rang in and he said, give me Geelong over the last 10 years, any day of the week, rather than the pain that I've been through as a Melbourne supporter. So there it is. Like other teams would love to have had the success that Geelong's had over the last 10 years without having had the ultimate success. So give me relevancy and constantly trying to compete to win a premiership rather than irrelevant rubbish sitting on the bottom of the ladder for 10 or 15 years, any day of the week. Cameron Ling, you've gone from a very objective analysis of where your team's at, very fair, <laughs> to a staunch defence. Yeah, well, if there that... was any disputing whether you or Billy were the mayor of Geelong, you are absolutely with that kind of well, conviction I... in the way that you speak about the team I'll and the tell town. You, I can be very objective the way that they're going right now, what I don't cop is this people trying to rewrite history over the last 10 years about it just being one giant failure. That's just, that's a ridiculous view. So I get a little bit defensive when it comes to that sort of conversation. Now, Essendon, uh, they were on the defensive during the week because it came from all quarters after their performance against the Sydney Swans when they laid only 30 tackles and, uh, and were very, very poor indeed. Uh, didn't fly the flag. Ultimately beaten fairly convincingly by Richmond in Dreamtime at the G by six goals or so. But there were moments within the game where you could see that players thought to themselves, I am going to fly the flag here. I am going to try and make a difference. 20 tackles in the first quarter. Lingy, what did you make of Essendon's response? There was the suggestion that they weren't listening to the external noise. I think clearly the external noise did have an impact on the way they went about things. But... Did you see any character shown in that performance? Uh, not really. A little bit. Yeah, they laid some tackles. Yeah, they wanted to wrestle and bump and scuffle a bit. But I, none of that really matters to me. 
I mean, the tackling does, sorry, the tackling does, but all the pushing and shoving and fighting and bluster and who can throw an elbow and who can throw, this is all, like it's nothing. If you want to actually have a response, put the head over the ball and win the ball. Get it to a teammate, efficiently take it down the ground and kick some goals. And then when the opposition's coming at you, don't let them go anywhere. That's the response I wanted, some really top quality football. Um, which I saw, yeah, okay, I saw a little bit of that. That's fine. So it was, it was an improvement on last week, but not by much. Just because they, just because they wrestled a bit more, just because they pushed and shoved a bit more. Um, really, if you're an Essendon fan, is you're really walking away going, oh yeah, they, they, they pushed and shoved really well in that game. No, I thought, I thought that was one of their best wrestling performances <laughs> I've seen. Oh, I think good. when you get completely walked over in the way that they did and you offer nothing in response, even if it is histrionics essentially, if you are seen to be at least taking some sort of a stand in the physical altercations, I think that's not the worst thing in the world. But agree with you, yeah, it has to come in the way that you play. And tackling is just, tackling is a given. Yeah. It's a given that you're going to compete and you're going to tackle hard and you're going to lay more than 30 tackles in a game. So... I think the fact that Essendon laid, what, over 50 tackles or 61 tackles this time around, that's sort of, that's delivering to the AFL standard in, in that category. But they see, still seem to get cut open way too easily and don't transition into defence quickly enough. The Bombers, is that how you see it? Yeah, and, and just still with their, their ball use still doesn't... But they, they get a lot of the footy and they flick it around. They all get a touch and they all think they're going well, but it's not really doing anything else. I don't mind if somebody, if a team needs to fire themselves up by a bit of push and shove at the start of the game and get going in order to get in and attack the footy, fine. If that's that's the way you need to motivate yourself, that's cool. I don't mind. But as long as it's backed up with really good football, and to me that it was just lacking too much again. Um, I know I brought up a couple of weeks ago the hyperbole meter, Al. Um, when I started sort of hearing and reading the, oh, you know, with the fight shown by Essendon and, you know, that was, a, that was a better performance, a brave performance, all of this. I thought, well, here we go. The hyperbole meter is getting turned up a little bit. And then I read some headlines from today's game about master strokes in the Giants coaches box and um, brilliant <laughs> moves in the Giants coaches box because they threw a few people around. Himmelberg played back and Cornelio played on ball. as though that's a miracle. And, and then I thought, no, that's top the Essendon one. They were playing against the West Coast Eagles who have barely been able to field a side all year. So let's just tone back the whole master strokes in the coach's box because they were able to knock off the West Coast Eagles. So the hyperbole meter between those two, it was close, but the Giants stuff probably got the nod for me this week. It did catch the eye though, didn't it, to see Mark McVeigh as the interim coach alongside Dean Solomon and James Hurd. So the trio from Essendon there and the presence of Hurd in the coach's box is going to get tongues wagging, regardless of whether there's any veracity to a potential return to senior coaching for him. His, his mere presence there suggests that he is interested in, in playing a, a greater role or do you see it as him just serving the club, helping out the club given the departure of Leon Cameron? I mean, if it's that, then great. Uh, am I missing something with, do, do you think he should just come back and be a senior coach straight away? I don't. I mean, he, he never demonstrated during his time at Essendon that he was a, a great coach, not to mention what went on under his leadership. So I compare him to the other great playing leader of his generation in Michael Voss. And I look at it and I go, well, Michael Voss was the, the, the golden boy of the Brisbane Lions, the, the, the chosen one, comes in straight away as a coach, not ready for it, doesn't handle it well. James Heard was exactly the same at the Bombers. You know, he, the, the prodigal sons returned, all of that. Great to have Herdy. Now, when it didn't work out for Vossi, Vossi went away and did a seven-year apprenticeship again at Port Adelaide and relearned everything, created his, uh, refined his coaching philosophy the lot. Whereas James Hurd has only just dipped his toe back in the water of coaching in this last, what, or it wasn't even coaching, it was a leadership role at the Giants. That doesn't make him ready to just step in and be a senior coach. He's not Alistair Clarkson, who's a proven 
senior coach and one of the greatest coaches ever, and you go, yep, bang, straight away, he comes back in. This is a bloke who needed to go, in my eyes, needed to go and do what Michael Voss did. And go, if he wants to be a senior coach, go and do a six or seven year apprenticeship underneath a really good coach and learn all there is to the aspects and then make a run at being a senior coach again. Not now. So I hope it's the latter for what you asked, Al, that it's more I'm, I'm helping a mate out at a time where it's a bit tough because Leon Cameron's finished and I'm here to support you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it creates a, a bit of a sensation seeing him back in the box and naturally with the media cycle that we live in these days, that, that will certainly lead to more than a, a bit of discussion around what his intentions might be and, and it remains to be seen whether there would be a club willing to offer James Hurd a senior coaching job in any case. Uh, just on to Richmond, Lingy. So four in a row now for the Tigers. They're in the top eight. They've won six. They've lost four. They've had to contend with continual injuries throughout the season. Again, Kane Lambert's gone down with his hip issue and, and Damien Hardwick said post-match that he'd been dealing with that and playing bravely week after week and managing that. Now Tom Lynch has a knee injury as well. He was seen going in for, for scans on Sunday. So wait to get the, the full picture there. Um, but Noah Bolter out of the side as well. They're not losing sort of role players. They're losing key players, Richmond, regularly and, and still giving themselves a shot of, of playing finals with the start that they've had. How significant do you think the loss of these players this time around might be? Yeah, I... I'm starting to believe a bit more in Richmond and the way that they're playing with those personnel coming back. But then losing them, the doubts come back. And you think back, was it three years ago when they they won the premiership? They had that horror yeah. season of injuries and it was just... And you thought, uh, if, they drop, if they drop, you know, four out of the next six games, they're probably out of contention and those injuries have counted. Well, somehow they just kept scrambling wins because... They were still good enough, all of those supporting players and a lot of players were still in their prime out there playing and they scrambled those wins, then got on a roll, got healthy and they won a yeah. premiership. It's different to that just because they're not all in their prime anymore and the injuries mount up and, and being uh, asking other players to do more. Um, so I, I think for Richmond to be a genuine threat at any stage, they need all their personnel there. They need. They need certainly need Tom Lynch firing. He's had a good season already. Um, they they needed Dusty back. They need Flostone playing. They need Prestia playing. They need most of their very best players out there if they're going to shake things up come the end of the year. I think if they lose lose a few of their their top liners, um, they just don't have the ability to cover it like they used to. The Western Bulldogs and Gold Coast. I watched that match on Saturday afternoon. I was really entertained by it, actually. Beautiful day in Ballarat. Probably got a bit cool late. But the Gold Coast Suns, again, gave a really good account of themselves. They ultimately didn't win the game, but they had their moments in that game. Um, absolutely loved the performance of Joel Jeffrey. Sixth game, he kicked five goals, including one over his head. He, he, he was mercurial with some of the things that he did. And... He had me gagging for more. I want to watch more of Joel Jeffrey. I'll get the chance um, on seven on Saturday night up in Darwin when Gold Coast play Hawthorne, which might be a pretty good game of footy to, to see him play live for the first time. So that's going to be fun, Lingy. But the Bulldogs needed the win desperately. Yeah. Norton was a beast of a player early in that match to help sit, set things up. And then the Bont with his class in the end. Bailey Smith all the way through that. I've still got the pieces, the Western Bulldogs. It's a question of whether they can get it all going at the right time of the season and, and perhaps whether they're not coming from too far back. Yeah, that's the question. Have they made it too hard for themselves? Because you're right, the pieces are still there. Um, what did you make of Luke Beveridge's comments? What, he was being very cryptic. He was being, well, inferring that there was some illegal bodywork going on um, that might have blunted the influence of Norton in the second half of the game he in the first quarter i mean sam collins is a fine defender very very underrated defender and perhaps because people don't probably watch him all that closely but he gets the job done week after week uh, and norton was all over him in the first quarter of that match and then from there collins was able to really nullify him and i think beverage was 
suggesting without saying for fear of maybe some retribution uh, or perhaps a fine that the umpires weren't watching it closely enough and he'd need to have a look at the down the ground vision perhaps Lingy. Gotcha. But it was I, it was strange. Yeah, it was it was not what I expected in the That's afternoon. okay. I, I was I was worried it was there was also an injury concern as to why he it wasn't as effective in the second half. But okay, that's that's cleared it up for me. Al. That was only my read, Lingy. Could yep. be wrong, but uh, but that's what I drew from that. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and on the Bulldogs, yeah, when those pieces fire and the midfield fires and and Norton's outstanding, they're threatening. Um, can they get on enough of a roll? I don't know. I, it's almost like I keep tipping them every single week, just thinking that they will. And some weeks it ends up, well, that's fine. That's a, that's a good tip because they, they get the win. But then other weeks, you're left scratching your head thinking, hang on, they should win that. They're such a good team. Um, so I'm in a bit of a I don't know phase with the Bulldogs at the moment. The trust is, the trust is 50-50 at the moment. Now, you gave Essendon nothing. What about North Melbourne for their effort against Melbourne? Because the way they played for three quarters of that match, North Melbourne, against the best team in the competition and, and North are far from that. There was a spirit to the way North Melbourne played. Yes, Melbourne had so many more inside 50s, but North had moments and they competed hard and they tackled hard. And I think this is... I look at the West Coast side, Lingy. I look at their... The, the team they're putting out on the park each week, and I think that is a vastly better side than the North Melbourne side is that is running out every week. Yes, there was a character to the way North Melbourne played against a team that no one gave them a chance in hell of getting within 10 goals of. Yeah, what did you reckon? A, that's a fair call, Al. I like that. Um, the reason why I didn't give Essendon anything is because Players like Darcy Parrish get 43 disposals and Zach Merritt get 33 and they still only score 48 points. So that's why they don't get anything. Whereas North Melbourne, they don't have the quality of Essendon. They don't have the quality of the West Coast Eagles. I agree with that. But they, they played with heart and they played some good footy at times in that game. And you know, for, that, for a brief moment there, it was starting to look like, hang on a second, they could, this could really go down to the wire. Um, Ultimately, they fell away because they're just so far behind Melbourne in their development. And, and that, but that's fine. That's okay. We, I think we know where North is at. Um, but we also saw some really promising signs. We know that that forward line is going to be built around Nick Larkey for a number of years. We, you can see the midfield pieces starting to fall into place a little bit. Um, I mean, it would be great if they could have Cunnington and um, Jed Anderson and and um, Greenwood and these types of bigger bodies, stronger bodies. They're more often supporting those younger guys. But you're seeing Davies Uniac just slowly improve every single week. I mean, Taron Thomas, um, wasn't that one of the most magnificent tackles you've ever seen? Poor Zach, Lang- um, Ed Langdon, sorry. Um, I felt for him. Oh, uh, yeah. I hope he's okay. But that's just a superb tackle. Was that really paid a free kick or was somebody pulling my leg, Al? Uh, Lee, I'm not certain, yeah, whether that was a free kick or not. I know Langdon was subbed out of the game as a result of it. Yeah, yeah was, I and, can't so recall. So you're seeing Thomas improve. I'm seeing, you know, Horn Francis, I think, is just going to be a beauty, but that's stating the obvious. He was the number one draft pick and has shown signs of being a really strong competitor. The, the elements are there. I think Mackay down back is going to be a quality defender. And David Noble is probably just attempting to buy time with some other players who are still playing, who are just those bigger, stronger bodies, mature players to just support some of those younger, lighter frames. He knows that probably a couple of them in, a, in maybe two years' time won't be around because they'll be replaced by some of their younger talent. Um, but, the, yeah, I, I'm with you, Al. That's a good call. Just really competitive to the end. They got beaten by the best team in the competition who are ahead of everyone by a country mile at the moment um, but didn't lose any friends out of it. Time's getting away from us, mate, but I, I just want to address this briefly because there's been a bit of talk about North Melbourne and priority picks. I think North should get a priority pick and people will say that North Melbourne shouldn't because they've traded away good players and their list decisions have not been in keeping with the, I guess, the integrity of priority picks. But 
I look at the Kangaroos and I see a list that it, that doesn't have the talent of other teams that has sometimes been filled up with recruits that they have had to pay more money for because they're not a destination club than, than most clubs would have to. They're not an attractive proposition for, for free agents. It's a really tough environment for a club like North Melbourne. And when they're down where they are, I think they need a little bit of help. And to me, the priority pick is, is not an overly generous way of just giving them that little bit of help. What, what, what's your thought on whether a team like North should get a priority pick? I think we're going to have to unfortunately agree to disagree on this one, Al. I, I don't think they should. Um, I think that they have made decisions that have put themselves in this situation um, and they shouldn't be rewarded for making bad calls. Um, and now they're going through a rebuild phase uh, and now they're just going to have to go through the pain of it. Um, they, they finally finally made the right decision to actually genuinely rebuild. The new coach is going to steer them through that. Now they've got to see it through. And I don't think it's worthy of a, a priority pick. I mean, they, what did they pay Jared Polek from Port Adelaide? Six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars a year for five years. Well, this is part of my argument, Lingy, because a club like North Melbourne, to get anyone, has to pay enormous sums of money, way over the odds compared to others. You look at the offer to Dusty. You look at the offer to to Josh Kelly. They were such significant financial offers, yeah, and those, those players still turn play them out. down. Those, Dusty Martin and Josh Kelly can play footy. They're awesome. They didn't need to give any money to Jared Polak. Yeah, I know that. But the reason that they do, the reason that they pay someone like Jared Pollock more than they should is because they pay, they offer far more for guys like Kelly and far more for a guy like Martin than others do. And they still don't land them. And that's because North Melbourne is not seen as a desirable club. They're not, they're not in a premiership window at the moment. They're a smaller club. And, and I think that's a massive disadvantage but, for them. Al, it, it, it was a hodgepodge strategy anyway. If they'd got Dusty, what else were they going to do? They didn't have any other good kids at that stage. They had a couple of players at the back end of their career who were starting to fall off. Um, The idea of getting free agents and top quality free agents, you've got to do it at the right time. To Melbourne's credit, they didn't bother going and getting big, big free agents when Clayton Oliver and Petrarca and these guys, Christian Salem, were super, super young. Because there was no point at that stage. Let them have a few years and then timed it with whereas they were starting to ascend in their, in their playing maturation. They then went and got Stephen May and Jake Lever and these types of free agents to complement exactly what they were doing. So they all timed their run together. North Melbourne went, yeah, let's just, we want Dusty because he's the biggest name. Missed him. Okay, but well, we want Josh Kelly. Fair enough, you got him great because he, he was that bit younger. He might have been able to see it through. But then don't reward them for saying, oh, we missed Dusty, we missed Josh Kelly. Now we'll just go and pay somebody ridiculous money for ridiculous years who's no good and is going to spend three years playing in our VFL. Yeah. Uh, I agree that they've been, that has been silly. I agree that that has been silly. I also make the point, though, that North Melbourne was in a far more competitive position when it was making overtures towards players like Martin and Kelly than it is now with its young list. But I just think they have a disadvantage where they're coming from, the very makeup of their list at the moment. I mean, if you, if you were a, a 26-year-old, 27-year-old player at the top of your game and you have the opportunity and you want to come back to Melbourne, Adam Chera, for example, a little bit younger, let's use him as an example. Why would he go to North Melbourne? What would, what would attract him to go to a club like North Melbourne? Of course, you can see that Success. Carlton has potential to improve. And Carlton's one of the huge clubs yeah, in I Melbourne. Agree. I Massive agree the, fan base, huge crowds at the MCG. I, I agree the huge ba- um, club thing is an attraction, absolutely. But success would be the reason. So you need to show, not right now, but in three years, four years' time, when you're then targeting the free agents, that here we are, we're ready. We've got this midfield that's as good as anyone in the competition. We've got this key forward, Nick Larkey. He's just kicked 60 last year. We've got Ben Mackay down back, who's our All-Australian defender. Hey, 
you just top us up. <laughs> you have got their bad re- recruiting and uh, and list management on the mind, Lingy. Oh, who did I say? Ben Brown. Oh, did I say Ben Brown? <laughs> ben, ben Mackay. Uh, down back. The that we've got. All we need is this final piece, which is you, our free agent. We're targeting. Come and join us, and we're about to go in through a successful era. That's what attracts people to them. I, I would say. Um, I agree when you're talking about a Richmond and a Carlton and an Essendon and all of that, you've got that big, big club, big, big crowd attraction. But that doesn't have to be the be-all and end-all about getting someone or not getting someone. I mean, they could have paid Robbie Tarrant another, what, 100 grand a year for two years and probably kept him. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably guessing a little bit there. Um, and then you've, had, then you've got a couple, another really experienced key defender to buy yourself some time. Um, so to think that they can't attract anyone or they can't keep anyone, if, you, if you've got a genuine vision and you're seeing it through and there's success on the horizon, clear success, I think you can attract people and keep people. Yeah. Well, I think the vision is what North will have in its favour under David Noble here, and that's the selling point for them if he can capture that sense of the the vision that he has for the club and and to see some signs that they're going in the right right direction as we saw in the match against Melbourne will be key as well. Next time we're going to argue, Lingy, I'm going to make sure I get it much higher up in the program because that was good sport, mate. Good chatting to you. Uh, Have a great week. The footy starts again and you'll see it live and free on Channel 7 Friday night at the SCG. The Swans and the Tigers. The Tigers missing a few. The Swans coming off a defeat to the Blues in Friday night football. You'll be at a big game at the G on Sunday, Lingy Carlton and Collingwood. I'm going to Darwin for Hawthorne and Gold Coast, the second week of Sir Doug Nichols' Indigenous round. Good chatting, mate. Even Thanks, Al. Have a great week. All you the best. too, mate. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.